Let's take a look at our scripture and we can get started here. And the scripture that we are taking a look at can be found in the inside of your bulletin. This is Luke 10, 1 through 16. Luke 10, 1 through 16. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be even more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to unrepentant cities. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And for you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to the heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The word of the Lord. Well, if you'll remember, we did not have church last Sunday because one of the storms of all storms hit, winter storm Jonas, named for the Jonas brothers, and Jonas's rocking uh, play, I guess. Uh, It was quite a storm, in fact, one for the history books. We got enough to uh, stop us from having church, but there were some other places that were really hit. In fact, Winter Storm Jonas is the first snowstorm on record to bring two feet or more of snow to Baltimore and New York City. I was actually talking to a friend of mine uh, yesterday in Baltimore, and they still haven't had school yet from Winter Storm Jonas. Parts of the greater Washington, D.C. area also saw over two feet of snow. At least 50 people were killed with an economic impact of at least $850 million. Wow, we, we dodged a bullet there. But people are still digging out from Winter Storm Jonas. You know, storms can bring out the worst uh, in terms of what can happen. Lost life, lost uh, uh, just all sorts of things. But it can also bring out the best. I kind of love searching the internet and looking for stories of heroism or bravery and uh, I found one uh, in Staten Island you know life goes on people get sick and so how do you take care of people and there was a story uh, in the Alden Heights area of an ambulance that came there was a call uh, to pick up this person and um, the ambulance came but the problem was the ambulance got stuck they had picked up the person they were taking him back to the hospital and well obviously they couldn't stay there but they couldn't get another ambulance there And so there's actually some video uh, online, if you find it, of the EMTs 
getting this person down off the, hosp- uh, off the ambulance and took him like an hour to drag them in this sled to get to the other ambulance where they needed to uh, go in order to get to the hospital. Uh, heroic bravery. Um, I don't know if you've ever experienced the feeling of helplessness, but I'm sure that person did. And uh, bravery really is when somebody who can do something chooses to do so. I don't know if you're excited about this movie coming out, The Finest Hours, about the Coast Guard, but uh, I'm going to go see that really soon. And I recently saw the movie, um, I forgot what they called it, maybe 13 Hours, but the story of Benghazi. And politics or not, when it boils down to it, it was a group of soldiers who could do something about it, who didn't have to, and chose to do something. It's a rescue story. And I want to suggest to you that the passage that we're taking a look at today is painting a picture of what Jesus is actually doing. That as Jesus heads to Jerusalem, he's not looking for respect. He's not looking for renown. He's looking to rescue. And so in this small picture here, Jesus is showing his plan, a foretaste of his ultimate plan, which has always been a rescue mission. And what, do I, want, what I want us to examine is how Jesus plans to rescue us and why he has to rescue us. That's the core of what we're talking. That's what we're going to discuss Because Jesus plans to restore that which we have lost. And what is it that we have lost? Peace. Shalom. This passage shows that Christ's plan is to provide peace to each individual who would receive it. But Jesus plans not only to provide peace, he plans for us to proclaim peace, to be a part of his rescue mission. And so the question I have for us is, how shall we respond to his offer of peace? And how shall we respond to his call to proclaim peace to the rest of the world? For we all must respond in some way. Christ came when no one else could or would. And Christ calls us to do the same for someone else. Well, this passage is about three particular things. Number one, it's a call to embrace his peace. Number two, it's a call to proclaim his peace. And then finally, number three, it's a reminder to not confuse the two. To embrace his peace, proclaim his peace, not confuse the two. Well, let's take a look at this. Number one, to embrace his peace. That's the first meaning behind this passage. Jesus is heading toward Jerusalem. He's taken a turn, if you will. The rest of Luke is about his heading toward Jerusalem. And the message that he is giving, that he sends these people out to uh, proclaim, is that the kingdom has come near. If the kingdom has come near, that can only mean that Jesus is the king. The king has come near. Now, it would seem that that is the reason why Jesus is heading to Jerusalem, for his coronation. But Jesus is not heading to Jerusalem for his coronation. He's heading to Jerusalem for his crucifixion. Christ is coming to Jerusalem not to be feted, but rather to fight. And the enemy he plans to fight and kill is death itself. 
See, that's why people don't get the message of Jesus as he's sharing it, because nobody fights death. You fight injustice, you fight poverty, you fight other people, but nobody fights death because nobody beats death. But Jesus plans to defeat death by dying and rising again. That's why he's going to Jerusalem. Is there not a temple there where things are sacrificed to be made right with God? He just several chapters ago fed 5,000 people, showing that he was the bread of life, that as you take him in, gives life to the world. See, that's why Jesus' message is called the gospel or the good news. Because it's not about something we have to do, it's something about what he's done. And so as Jesus heads to Jerusalem for his coronation on the cross, he sends Luke 10, 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. So Jesus sends these people who go by him and before him to where he is going to travel. They're an advance party, if you will. Two by two. And there's a sense of urgency to their mission here, right? Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and don't even greet anyone on the road. In other words, that's, that's bad. In, in that culture, hospitality demands greeting them. But Jesus says, keep going. Go to the place that I have assigned you because I am coming. And he says, when you get there, Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. Strange way to uh, start the proclamation. Peace be to this house. Now in the Greco-Roman world, peace was known as an absence of war or social discord. You know, government was unstable and volatile and there was war and so they understood peace as there is no war in our context of america peace looks something like snoozing in a hammock i live a peaceful life you know but in the jewish context when they heard the word peace when they would hear that they would think of the word shalom and shalom meant so much more than simply absence of war Here's just 14 different references that actually use the word shalom uh, in the the Bible. Shalom means harmonious relationships, non-anxious presence, peace with God, God's blessing, prosperity, righteousness and justice, absence of war and violence, well-being, wholeness, good or favorable conditions, friendship. If you add all of those things together, what is shalom? Shalom is the intended state of peace and wholeness that all of God's creation is meant to experience. Shalom is the way that God intended things to be. Remember how God in the beginning in Genesis, he creates things in six days, and after that on the seventh day he rested? You could say he shalomed, so to speak wasn't that he was tired. It was rather that all was very good and all was the way it was supposed to be. That is true rest, true shalom. And so when these people come that Jesus has sent, what he's saying is shalom to this house. God's creation 
being made to wholeness, being made to rightness. This is what I'm bringing. So really, they're not simply saying some sort of platitude. Rather, they're saying the gospel to them. You know, since the beginning, when Adam and Eve ate of the tree, there has not been shalom in the world. Think of the fracture that occurred right after as Cain slew Abel. Think of the brokenness of relationships in our own lives, in the world. Think of the conditions of the world, sickness and death. I know if you've been following this Zika virus that's going on and the fear that comes along with that. There's an absence of peace in terms of externally, but also internally. Peace in our hearts, peace with God. These are all of the things that were lost when sin entered into the world. But God's mission through Christ has been to restore shalom. Colossians 1.19 put it this way, For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Christ to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And so Jesus sends out these 72 to proclaim shalom to these towns where He's going to come. Interesting, you know, why 72? If you look in Genesis 10, 72 is the number of the nations of the world. God is showing in microcosm what he plans to do. Remember, the book of Luke is written also to be connected with the book of Acts, right? Which the gospel goes forth to the world. This is just a mini Acts picture. And so peace is presented by these people. But the question is, is it received or not? Jesus gives a litmus test. How you will know whether they, uh, peace is there or not. If there is a son of peace there. It's if they believe the message that Christ brings shalom. And they receive him by receiving the one that Jesus has sent. They are a son of peace. It's interesting. It's like they're born to have peace, a son of peace. What this tells us, my friends, is that peace is an entity. Shalom is a gift. It can't be manufactured, can't be ginned up, can't be created from within. This world tries to manufacture peace, doesn't it? Through controlling conditions, your finances, your problems. You can get your heart set in such a way that you can create peace. But this shows us that peace must be bestowed. Peace begins with the gospel and the receipt of it. But what happens if you don't receive this peace? It actually is withdrawn. It says that the peace doesn't go, but comes back and remains on you. That opportunity for peace goes away. Rejection withdraws peace. So whenever you enter a town, I sure hope that's not me. Okay. <laughs> Luke 10.10. 10. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of the town, of your town that clings to your feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. Jesus goes on to condemn those cities uh, more than 
the cities of old because peace has come so near and yet they have rejected it. Some people ask me the question, Carlos, is there really a hell? The answer is, of course there is. Hell is the place where there is no peace. Hell is the place where there is no shalom. Hell is the place where everything is opposite of how it ought to be. There has to be a place for those who reject peace. All hell is is God simply saying, all right, have it your way. So life, my friends, ultimately boils down to one question. Are you a child of peace? The gospel has come to your house today if you're here. The message of the good news of peace in Jesus Christ. Have you received it or are you rejecting it? I remember a friend of mine, actually he's not a friend, but uh, it's a story of another Christian worker who was a missionary. He was driving, he was in Brazil, driving his car, and lo and behold, a little light came on his dashboard. Didn't pay much attention to it, though it was the oil light. He was busy. He had things to do. You know how it sort of comes on in the beginning and then it disappears? Mine did yesterday. I'm at 5,000 miles. I got to take it in. It, in the beginning, it just kind of comes on and then it comes off. And you sort of earmark. I got to do something about this. But sooner or later, it comes on and it stays on. It's a light. There's something missing within you. Car. Now, I can think positive thoughts about my vehicle. I can try to look around, maybe in the glove compartment, for some SAE 5W30, but alas, it is not to be found. I cannot find what it needs. It has to be bestowed. It has to be put in by someone else. And sure enough, after driving around that way long enough, the car inexplicably shut down. It had failed to receive that which it needed, passing gas station by gas station, ignoring the proclamation right in front of its face. The reason I'm sharing this, my friends, is that the message has stopped outside of your door. And Christ's call to you is to receive his peace. It's his goal for why he came. It's his gift for you. But you must choose his peace above all else. How are you going to find peace if you don't find it in Christ? You can't find it in your marriage, no matter how special that person is. They don't have the ability to bring shalom in your heart. You can't find it in your job. You can't find it in a friendship or in finally getting to that particular position or the body that you want. You can't manufacture it. But there is such a blessing when you receive and rest in His peace. So recognize His gift. Renounce counterfeit peace. And revel in the peace that God has brought you that transcends all understanding. Because Jesus Christ came for you when no one else could or would. Christ gives us the call to do this for someone else. This brings me to my second point. 
Not only should we embrace his peace, but God calls us to embrace his mission. Verse 2, and he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, Jesus sent out 72, right? Why do you need more than 72? Because there's more of the harvest than the 72 can handle. The workers are few. So the solution is to pray for more laborers. Jesus is not saying to pray for more spectators. He's praying, he's saying to pray for more laborers. Remember, Luke turns into Acts. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. Not only in every town Jesus is coming to, but in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The reason that you are here today, if you are a Christian, is that somebody stopped outside of your door. His name was Jerry Leachman for me when I was an 18-year-old kid. The point I'm trying to make here is we were meant for peace and we were also meant to message, to go and make disciples. The only reason why we are still here is that the harvest is not over. And so we are given the awesome responsibility and privilege of being peace bringers. We're just like those 72. We're not the message, but we know the message. And the message has power. How do I know that the message has power? You believed it, right? I remember when I heard the gospel for the first time. I don't know if you grew up in the church and slowly you understood and appropriated it as your own, but my conversion was very dramatic. I heard the gospel and I knew it was true. How did I know it was true? I didn't know all of it. I just knew it was true. And Christ got a hold of my heart and he changed me and he continues to change me. The power is in the gospel. As Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power for salvation of all those who believe. And so when we bring peace to someone, we're bringing an entity that's in the message that literally has the power to wake the dead. Back here, we see that God gives power to the apostles and those that he sent out to heal sickness, to uh, uh, cast out demons. But as you need to remember that, first of all, Christ has not ascended to heaven. The Holy Spirit has not been given yet. Nowhere in the rest of the New Testament do we see these commands to do those things. Rather, the power itself is resident in the Scripture. And so we are peace bringers. And so we go. The question, of course, is where do we go? Wherever he calls us to go. Remember, these 72 were sent to the towns that he was about to go. Jesus went that time, and Jesus is coming back again. Hebrews 9.28 says this way, So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Christ has sent us to a town. 
It's called Virginia Beach. Maybe Christ is calling you to a new town. Maybe it's a town on the other side of the world. I hope that at some point that we will send out missionaries. We support missionaries. Praise God for Robert Knuth at the University of Georgia. But Christ might be calling you to a new town. The question is, are we going as messengers? This message will continue to separate. This isn't an easy mission. There's still a sense of urgency to it, isn't there? It's hard to proclaim the message of Christ if we're carrying so many other things, worries and cares and concerns of this life, that we forget that we've been sent on a mission every bit as much as these 72 other people. It's a challenge because nobody knows who a son of peace is. If you had taken a look at me as an 18-year-old kid, you would have never said I was a candidate for the gospel. The person who you work with, the person who you hate, might be a son of peace or daughter of peace. That Muslim terrorist who actually committed those crimes might be a son of peace. But not everyone is going to receive the gospel. Here is what is amazing about Christianity. It doesn't matter where you go with the message of Jesus Christ. Some religions, they'll only work in a certain area. Islam, it only works in a certain area. Hinduism, it only works in a certain area. It hasn't spread, so to speak. It's starting to spread in a way, but if you take Christianity right now and you go to Sri Lanka or you go to Korea or you go to Finland, you go to the rich, you go to the poor, you go to the uh, black person, Hispanic, Chinese, it doesn't matter because the gospel of peace is applicable to every single person. Why am I sharing all of this? I'm sharing all of this as a call to you and me to change our mindset. That we need to see life as a harvest and people as fruit. People aren't pains in our butt. People aren't nuisances or hindrances to what I'm trying to accomplish, but rather they're the very harvest where God has placed me. They are the fruit. Your life is bigger than your job. Your life is bigger than where you live and what club you belong to and what skills that you have. Your life is bigger than your job. You were made for eternity. And you are missing out if you are missing the mission. I don't know if you've ever experienced a Christianity, a relationship with Christ that seems devoid of power, devoid of realness, sort of something you pull out and you set there and you have time and then you put it away, but there's no life to it. Could it be that part of the reason is is because we're not grasping that God calls us to more than simply embracing His peace, but also to proclaim it. Our church, we have to take a look in the mirror and ask the question, do we see life as a harvest and people as fruit? Or are we simply engaging in religious exercises, coming together to feel good about ourselves? I was recently, I don't know if you have the slide, can move here. My son and I, we had an opportunity to go to Japan. 
And thank you. You gave us uh, first class uh, tickets here on the Euro. Uh, I think this is Qantas, actually. One cannot take Qantas to Japan. But, uh, you know, if you've got a long journey and you have the means, uh, you can go ahead and book the uh, international business class on Qantas. And it is quite choice, my friends. Okay, a little different than the cattle car here. We've got our nice flat screen uh, TV. And, you know, the bed kind of folds out. And you've got wine. And, you know, you could even set a little picture or something, you know. If you felt like it, you could turn that into a very nice little mobile home, so to speak. After all, you're going to be there for a while. There, of course, is one problem with that, right? It's not the destination. It's simply the journey. We have to travel light, my friends, understanding that we are on a journey and that all that we really need, we carry inside of us and with one another because God has given us peace. There is not peace in the world. Our bodies are still frail and broken. But the peace that God gives us begins here and can give us peace in whatever circumstance you are dealing with. You can overcome the world, so to speak, and that you can find rest and hope and comfort and strength in the adversity of life, waiting for the time when Jesus Christ will come at the sound of the trumpet, when all will be made shalom. And so my question for you is this. What's your identity? Who are you? I'm Bill. I'm a school teacher. I'm 46. I've been teaching for 20 years. Been adding to my pension. I'm comfortable with my life and my kingdom. Or I'm building a kingdom. I'm Jill. I'm young. I'm a new lawyer. I'm at a firm. I'm working crazy hours to make partner. And one day I'll be able to lay out everything that I need and my kingdom will be set. That's so much below what Christ has called you to. You are a shalom bringer. And this is not our home. So live in shalom. Spread shalom. We are growing, my friends, Redeemer, but slowly, almost imperceptibly. You know, I say that a church's size is much like a shoe size. You know, you don't know what size God has built into you what size you're going to be, whether a 13 or an 8. I don't care if we're 1,000 people or 100 people. What I do care is that the reason if we're growing imperceptibly, is not because we don't see ourselves as shalom bringers. That's true health. They always, when they send military people on a mission, except with a couple other things, they've done studies on this. You try to get one person to jump out of a plane on a mission, it's a radically different number than if two people jump out on a mission. The confidence that comes with having someone who's with you to go on this mission helps you. That's why we're here together. We're in this together. 
And God can and will use you. The question is, are you willing to be used? Change your identity. Invite someone to church. Join a gym. Build a relationship with people who are not believers. If you only have believers as your relationship. Christ came when no one else would or could. And so let's do the same for somebody else. This brings me to my final point. Luke 10, 17, they go on the mission. They come back and they return with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They're rejoicing. Why are they rejoicing? Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Now people are coming to faith for sure. Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I don't have time to explain all of that, but the gospel is going forth. There are children of peace being born, but they're not excited because of that. Rather, they're excited because the demons are subject to us in your name. This ministry thing is pretty cool. They're experiencing the glory of God as God is working through them. And Jesus, in a very gentle way, rebukes them. Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that somewhere in heaven, if you are a Christian, that there is a book. In fact, it even says that it's on his hand that God has written your name, that he, the shalom that he created, that he died for, that he rose again for. He is brought to you for eternity. My friends, winning souls to Christ is nowhere near being won to Christ yourself. And so as we seek to embrace his mission, never let it be at the extent of embracing his peace. Your ministry is an extension of who you are. And as you revel in the shalom that God has for you, the Great Commission will always flow out of the greatest commandment. So keep the main thing the main thing. Is there someone in our congregation, perhaps, where your ministry has overshadowed your relationship with Jesus Christ? That in your efforts to reach other people with the gospel, you've forgotten the most important thing of all. I sum up with this simple thought. That Christ came when no one else could or would. His promise of shalom is as real as it was then as it is now. Peace in my heart. Trust for the future. We were meant for peace and we were meant to message. So go into the town where he is about to go. In Allenton or Great Neck Meadows or Bay Cliff, or the hospital, or Geico, or wherever you work. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that when we were lost in unrest, you came not to be crowned, but to be crucified. And through being crucified, you bought peace. And you brought peace.
to our hearts. I pray for someone today, maybe even here in this congregation, who has never received your peace, that they would be born of peace today as they acknowledge that you are the king. Lord, help us to see the world as a harvest and people as fruit. Help us to travel light. Lord, use us and help us to remember that the greatest thing that we could ever have is you. Lord, and that one day all will be shalom. In this we put our hope. We pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.